Hey, Dwayne, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. I know we, we've been planning this for a while. I know we've got to move dates. Um, the, the, life, the life of a nation builder is apparently a busy one. <laughs> yeah, I've been, uh, I've been bouncing around a lot, but glad we, uh, we found time to, to do this. Yeah, I think, the, I, I think the last time we actually physically met was um, actually at the Praxis Society's offices in New York during uh, NFT in New York City, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly. Yep, yep, that was fun. Yeah, so um, the topic is Startup Nations, which of course is a, is a title borrowed from a famous book about Israel a few years ago. Um, although in this case, it's not a nation that has a lot of startups. It's, it's, it's a startup that's trying to create a nation. <laughs> it's a little different, um, yep. which, which is a practice society. Um, I, I shared a link on the Twitter thread yesterday uh, to your website, which has a little bit of information there. Um, I, I was just reading your, uh, your fundraising announcement from Paradigm, which is, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, maybe, you know, I have a whole set of topics I want to run past you, but before that, maybe let me let you make uh, the pitch for, for Praxis first before, before we, we continue. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, with Praxis, we're, we're building a new city. Um, the core idea is in the 20th century, cities were organized around labor markets, meaning people move to cities for jobs. Um, now a lot of people can work remote, they can take their jobs with them wherever they want to go. And there's this sort of question for those newly mobile people, you know, where do they want to go? Who do they want to spend time with? You know, does it really make sense to, to move to a city because, you know, some offices are there or, you know, are there sort of deeper principles that are attractive about those places like, you know, social networks and things like this, like, you know, the people you sort of, you know, truly care to spend time with. And the, the core idea with Praxis was, um, let's build a massive community of people who um, are economically mobile. They can take their jobs with them, um, sort of organized around shared values um, and and this notion of sort of like super tight community and a super personal commitment to to a cultural form, to a way of life. Um, and then with that community, um, build a new city. So it's like we sort of like aggregate demand for a city, as it were. Um, we can then underwrite um, sort of initial sort of pre-development costs on the basis of that aggregated demand that implies, you know, a tremendous amount of sort of real estate value and tax value and so on for a, a host government that we would partner with. Um, and then we uh, construct a sort of 10,000 person phase one town in a city for the members of our community and then expand from there, um, you know, all the way to the point where we have uh, a sort of massive city um, that is inhabited by people who share uh, a way of life, who share a, a notion as to what, um, you know, the good life is, you know, what, how they want to spend their time and, and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, there's a lot more to say, but, you know, in short, we're building a city. Yeah, no, it's an, an, an interesting point of what you're saying is like, I think, you know, the thought of nomadic remote living, particularly post-COVID, post-Zoom, everyone kind of gets. But what's interesting about your project and, and also others like it is that, in fact, that there is a physical component, right? Like, you know, I, like... I realized recently that I've got a whole set of friends that I don't even really know where they live, right? Like we just meet at certain centers of gravity and we interact physically there and then virtually otherwise. And again, you can imagine, you know, some sort of floating world that exists that way. But what you're insisting on is there actually being a physical patch of land that, you know, is an actual city state. Yeah. I mean, I think important relationships, important work, particularly creative work, those things are done um, in person. I mean, I think... Um, I, I don't believe in sort of a, 
you know, a, a sort of remote maximalist future where everyone's telecommuting from, you know, from the mountaintops or maybe from cities that are organized around things other than, you know, sort of shared mission or sort of things that might actually, uh, you know, that, that might actually bring together people who want to build a company together or something like that. The core idea is we're now in a, a, a moment where people can be remote if they want to um, and to sort of like solve the, the sort of cold start problem of building the population of a city. You can find a bunch of people who, you know, may not want to do the most important work of their lives remote, but are currently in jobs that, you know, they, they sort of can do remote um, or they're in small, you know, small teams like at startups that, that can move places. And because of that fact, it's like we can we can get 10,000 people to move to, you know, what was, you know, formerly a sort of empty piece of land and, and sort of bootstrap the population of the city. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the, the remote stuff is like insanely powerful from a, a sort of like leverage perspective as a, a city builder, someone who's trying to like build a population. Um, but it, but it, but it's also I mean, just like we've hired a ton of people that we met online through, you know, various online communities that, you know, some of whom we still, we still sort of work remote with, many of whom have moved to New York, uh, you know, to our office. And, you know, we're based here with like a big office in New York. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny, as uh, someone who recently raised money to start my own company, having the debate about, you know, in-person versus remote work, and it, my opinions seem to vary uh, with like whoever the last recruiting, recruiting candidate that I spoke to. <laughs> Thanks. And I felt pretty strongly that things should be in-person in San Francisco, and now I'm being... Uh, dissuaded that it maybe it shouldn't be, but um, but yeah, I mean the business of actually having a piece of land is is interesting. I mean, what, you know, I'll give you my first reactions when I was first reading about practice and practice and some of these other ideas is, you know, it it it's not completely unheard of, certainly, right? Depending on how big a scale you're talking about, why not? I mean, I understand you're you're actually and feel free to talk about it as much or as little as you'd like. I think you're actually trying to engineer this the city in reality, but you know, why not do something like? Uh, for example, I don't know, like go to Florida and you have, you know, these retirement, like the villages, which is this retirement village in South, South Florida. For those who aren't familiar with it, the villages is like almost like a quasi city state. I think the population is something like 100,000 or 200,000 people. And it's like a big retirement community, it almost has its own law enforcement, own government. Um, and although, you know, obviously it's not actually a city state, but um, but that's not kind of what you're talking about. It's not just a, com a community of like minded people living in what amounts to a housing development. It's it's much bigger than that. Yeah. Um, what we want to build, what we want to build is a new way of life for people. A lot of people want to opt out um, of the reality they, they live in, in in cities like New York, L.A., San Francisco. They live these sort of like, you know, buggish lives where they're adjusting the size of, of buttons and fucking around with spreadsheets. I mean, that's what I used to do before I was working on this and offering people a new way of life in a super like different, you know, charismatic location like a you know, a, a sort of like beautiful um, giant piece of land on the Mediterranean. There's something sort of like revolutionary about that, like in the sort of, you know, the, the sort of real sense of the word, like it's like a, a sort of, you know, a return, like a revolution is sort of, you know, a, a cycle. And I think there's something really sort of charismatic and interesting about building um, a new city with a sort of vast number of super, super talented people in, uh, you know, the, the sort of birthplace of, of Western civilization. I think that's when you sort of think about the story of your life, it's like, do you want to move to a master plan community in Florida? Um, or do you want to, you know, move to a sort of burgeoning city state on, you know, on, on the coast of the Mediterranean? It's like, which, which sort of story sounds like, you know, the place that, that will originate, uh, you know, sort of like groundbreaking, you know, scientific work, technological work, intellectual, sort of like, like it's sort of, I'm not sure of anything super great that's come out of Florida. Um, you know, besides a few people that I'm friends with, but, but it's, it's, it's sort of like, is the next sort of like artistic 
uh, revolution going to come out of Florida is, you know, not to pick on Florida too much, but I think you catch my drift. It's like you need to have a really charismatic story. You need to start with a lot of, you know, size and intensity to get the caliber of people you need to build something that's like, you know, truly important. You can't sort of, you know, often people suggest like, oh, why don't you start with like 20 people or 100 people and sort of agglomerate. It's like sort of doesn't work that way. It's like to get the most talented people in the world that have an enormous opportunity cost, they could be anywhere. Um, you have to start with a pretty tremendous offering in terms of like the density of talent moving, in terms of like the natural beauty, in terms of the beauty of the built environment, uh, and, and, and so on and so forth. It just, the story needs to make sense. Um, and that requires, you know, some scale. So Dryden, are you sort of leaking about where the future practice will be? Are, are you going to be the, the doja of Dubrovnik? Is that, <laughs> is that, it sounds like you're describing something um, on the Eastern shore of the Mediterranean. Um, you know, I, we've, we've commented a little bit on this. We're looking at a bunch of different sites in the Mediterranean, sort of around that, you know, the, the whole region. Um, there are beautiful pieces of land in the Eastern Mediterranean and the Balkans. There are beautiful pieces of land in, in other places too. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, have, uh, we have a sort of strong focus on the Mediterranean as like a region, but um, we're going to announce, we're going to announce like specific sort of host country stuff once, uh, uh, once it's appropriate to, I'll say. I mean, I do agree with you that, I mean, this business of starting with a small nucleus of people and growing from there is just not how this would work. I mean, if you take, um, as someone who was raised in South Florida, I do feel some level of sentimental attachment to it. Um, and the fact that uh, Mayor Suarez more or less memed Miami onto the tech map <laughs> via Twitter um, is, uh, on the one hand, might come off as dismissive, but in fact, that's not true at all, right? I mean, Florida was the sort of land grift that worked, right? <laughs> in the sense that it's now, and for the past several years, in fact, has shared one of the top two or three top spots in terms of internal immigration within within the United States. People ultimately vote with their feet, with their feet, and the fact that California has had one of the highest levels of egress, and Texas and, and Florida have had one of the highest levels of ingress, is, is certainly meaningful. Um, but you know, I can see what you mean about South Florida. I mean, it wouldn't have the sort of Instagram cool of um, you know a, a patch of land on the Adriatic, say, <laughs> perhaps. Although maybe not. Depends, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, or the sort of like spiritual, like richness of it, like it's it sort of, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to like denigrate like, you know, Florida or the Miami, I think like, yeah, I mean, I think the Miami thing was super interesting. I think, I think they did a, a, a pretty good job in the marketing. I mean, I think like the sort of one to many messaging, um, as opposed to like sort of explicit, you know, community building, I think like, you know, sort of tactically, there are some things that, um, you know, that, that we do a little bit differently than them that I think are pretty like compelling. But I think, I think what they did was super impressive. And I mean, like, frankly, it's just like kind of unheard of. It's like these people leave so much fucking money on the table. It's like, it's, it's, it's really astounding. I mean, if you think like about like the U S department of immigration, if you took like, you sort of like ripped out, you know, the, the, uh, the org chart and just threw a bunch of Jane street people in there and Citadel people in there. And like, you know, a few early stage people from like, you know, Paradigm or Sequoia or sort of whatever it may be. And you had those people think about, you know, who are, who are the most talented people in the world? How do we recruit those people? Like you can underwrite like massive CAC to recruit a super talented person to your state. If you're Elon, you're paying like, I don't know, like tens or maybe hundreds of millions of dollars of state taxes. Like I, you admit, if you move like a factory, it's like there are all people who work at the factory and so on and so forth, right? It's like the, the sort of like, 
the, the, the LTV of some of these right tail people is like so enormous that you can underwrite, you know, pretty tremendous cat cocks, CAC costs in terms of both like identifying, you know, who's super talented, who's going to generate a ton of tax revenue. And then two, going out and getting those people. And I think like that kind of thinking is what, uh, you know, these sort of startup cities, these like network states to talk sort of more broadly about the category will bring to the table. I mean, like that's what we're doing. Um, and yeah, I think there's just like an enormous amount of sort of like money left on the table there. It's like the most under-optimized asset class in the world. It's like tax is like a third of, you know, global GDP. It's like $30 trillion or something like that. Yeah. I mean, just to be the devil's advocate for a second though, I mean, you know, one common criticism, of a lot of these plans is that a lot of them boil down to being like, okay, so this is like Club Med for techies, although Club Med is somewhat of a, of a dated term. Like to actually run a full-featured nation with every station and rank of society, it, it can't just be, you know, the, the super high, you know, affluent income people that you're, you're mentioning, right? You'd have to convince a lot of other people to also show up and run things, be the politicians, dog catchers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take uh, yeah. T- totally. Um, I think the sort of, you know, the point with those people is that those people drive the economics of, of these things, like they drive the, the tax revenue, but like, but, but to attract those people, you need a ton of other people to be there. I mean, like, sort of like if you were just optimizing for like tax revenue on an individual basis, you would have, you know, a super high churn, kind of like miserable society, like the sort of caricature of what SF is. It's like, you'd have all these people just kind of like in their apartments by themselves and jamming on their computers. So you would not have like a vital, you know, like a sort of vital city state with a vital way of life. Like you want like, you know, hyper talented people who build you know, amazing companies and spend, you know, some material periods of their lives, like super focused on work. But um, people like that don't move to, you know, hives of people like that. People like that increasingly want to move to places like Miami, which is fun. And like Austin, you can have like a ranch, you know, New York. I live in New York. It's like just like an amazing place because it has this really dynamic uh, social scene. I mean, I think like that, that thinking is like reflected in the composition of our community it's sort of it's it's sort of like not not just tech people not even mostly tech people there are a lot of tech people um who you know we know personally that are you know super talented that have, that have joined that we've admitted but um there are a ton of people in culture there are a ton of people who do sort of all sorts of things that we think are just like really good people um that are committed to the mission that have a sense of like sort of like patriotism for praxis a sense of like you know national consciousness almost and i think uh those things are, are ultimately the things that matter. It's like you want people who are missionaries who are going to stick it out, who are going to be there with you over the long term because they care about, you know, this sort of like this, this vision for the future and the values that, that we care deeply about. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. You do not just want you do not just want those people. You couldn't have sort of a functioning society with just those people. And you also don't want to just appeal to those people on an economic basis. You want to appeal to those people on a spiritual basis because that's, you know, a lot of what has been lost in, in modernity is sort of like, you know, communal spiritualism and meaning and so on. I'm, I'm glad we converged so quickly to what was my the real subject that I wanted to get to, Dryden, which is exactly what you just said. Um, I think both in Praxis's thinking and your thinking and say Balaji's in a network state, he, as a plug, I interviewed him, uh, I guess two weeks ago now on the same show about his book when the literally, I think the day of the day after his book came out, we had a very long conversation about, about just this. Um, and I think also in Vitalik also had a sort of a, a rejoinder to, to Balaji's book that came out, I think that week or the following week, which is also very good. And I think everyone puts their finger on you know, even Balaji, who, you know, obviously is 
Mr. Crypto, that the sort of moral case for the state has to come before the technical or logistic or economic case for it. And that, and I, that, with that, I completely agree with. But I think one of the problems of modernity is that creating that moral capital is, is very difficult to impossible, right? And, uh, you know, if you look at the nation state as a concept, I mean, you'd probably agree or you, you'd probably also agree that, like, if you look at it historically, it's, it's a relatively recent vintage, right? We, we think France has been around for centuries, but that, in some sense, is a little bit of historical revisionism. France, as we know it today, has not existed for centuries, right? Um, it, it's existed since Napoleon's time, roughly, and he created the sort of modern nation-state of France. Um, and so you can imagine other ways of, of, of organizing human potential, but we've seen a kind of a dearth of nation-states being created in recent history, obviously Israel being an obvious example, but there there was a massive moral case, both in terms of then recent history of the Holocaust and then 2,000 years of exile history and just loads and loads of culture uh, of obviously Jew Jewish identity. So I guess my question is, if you wanted to, in some sense, you know, create that moral capital, and that moral case for the state, how do you do that when the people you're describing, in fact, everyone is kind of just, you know, is just soaked in this modernity that kind of works against and, and, you know, works against this, this meaning making. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I, I guess I would, I, I would sort of take, um, a slight disagreement in terms of sort of like the assessment, I think like, okay, like typically modernity is conceptualized as being, um, sort of, you know, founded on and really driven by these, you know, these enlightenment ideas, sort of like the primacy of science and reason, human equality, um, you know, the, the individual is sort of like the moral, the moral sort of locus, um, you know, and, and so on and so forth, uh, human plasticity. Um, but, but I think like sort of j just as sort of essential to, you know, to, to a sort of conception, sort of whole conception of modernity is modernity's propensity for self-critique and its origination of sort of counter-enlightenment thinkers, Nietzsche, Spengler, you know, you have even Rousseau, um, you know, sort of critiquing the sort of spiritual and sort of philosophical shallowness of, of uh, the sort of, you know, middle-class consumer and that lifestyle. I mean, I think like th that is sort of a, a unique essential element of what it means to be modern is this propensity for self-critique and for updating and, uh, and, and for sort of a, uh, yeah, a sense of sort of um, a, a self-awareness about the sort of shallowness of uh, the sort of the way of life that you characterized. Um, that's not sort of from outside of modernity critiquing. That's like an essential part of the thing. It like, it's sort of like it is to, to be modern is to, you know, critique that element of our culture and, and of ourselves. And that's sort of like a tradition that, you know, that, that is longstanding within the context of this, you know, of modernity. Um, so I think like, I don't know, I, I think like one, it's like that tradition is actually like super like intellectually rich and essential and like compatible with, with the sort of modern project. Um, two, I, I think there have been a ton of examples of, uh, I mean, there's, you know, there, there's Israel, there's like Singapore to some extent, a little bit more sort of, you know, commercial. Um, there are, I mean, there are just like a ton of nations that have been created, uh, that, you know, derive a sense of purpose from, um, from lineage and history and tradition and national consciousness and these things. And I think, you know, doing that is not unattainable. I think it's sort of like eminently attainable. I think it's not something that, you can sort of democratize for everyone. I think like, you know, I think Balaji is a super brilliant, uh, super brilliant dude. Um, love the book. He's an investor in Praxis. 
one one sort of like you know critique or I don't know just question I have is like this, there's this notion of sort of like the one you know the one moral commandment you can sort of like MVP morality you can MVP meaning um, you can say we're going to live in keto city or something like that um, I, I wonder if it's like you know not really possible to democratize being the sort of like you know the Nietzschean sort of like you know Ubermensch or something like that that's you know that that's sort of originating new moral systems and sort of that that seems like an extremely rare special thing um, I think I think uh, yeah doing that is, is in, in sort of insanely challenging. Uh, I, I think you have to have like the correct idea. I think it has to be formulated in the right way. I think you have to have the right people around it. Certainly you have to have the right aesthetics. You have to have the right artists that, you know, communicate these things in like such a sort of like, you know, dominantly impressive way that, you know, that, that they inspire a sense of sort of aesthetic contemplation and, and, uh, and, and thoughtfulness about sort of what's, what's really happening with that work um, to inspire sort of like, you know, moral and, and, you know, philosophical change in people and a, a sense of commitment to a, a big cause like this. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's hard, but possible, I guess, is the answer. I think you're not going to see a thousand of these things. Um, you'll probably see one or two. Um, they also have intense network effects and like I, people, it's sort of the wrong way to model people is that they have just like this sort of stack of preferences that's sort of like independent from their relationship to the global status hierarchy. It's like, you know, that sort of like, these notions of like manufacturing consent and of you know elites control of intellectual supply chains and their sort of like ability to you know control or you know largely influence voting outcomes as a consequence of that um, is sort of like sort of like eerily uh, you know m- missing from the sort of Glenn Weil um, Vitalik critiques of of you know of, of Balaji's work. But um, yeah, I, I think sort of in summary, it's like I think there are going to be. Uh, there, there are going to be really influential sort of counter-enlightenment ideas that are sort of essential to modernity and not necessarily undermining of it uh, that inspire like these grand sort of missionary quests to build new cities founded on new ways of life. Uh, but those things are going to be, you know, relatively rare as a consequence of like, you know, just the power of network effects and, and, uh, and the sort of power of media. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, to me, if if I were to identify one one enemy that this project has in modernity, it's it's less the self critique angle, though that's that's of course true. It's more um, sort of moral universalism, right? This thought that you know everyone is imbued with certain human rights, and the thought that there's any one class or tribe that's special deserves a state among any other is uh, basically a taboo at this point of the uh, of the game. I mean, part of the reason why Israel, you know, gets so much flack, I think, in, in Europe and the United States and the West is precisely because it is a, part, a particularistic state, right? It's, it's an invented ethnostate. Um, and even within Israel, it's still somewhat debatable. It's like, is this inherently a Jewish state? Is it more the secular enterprise, et cetera, et cetera? But I think certainly, <laughs> certainly it's partially, uh, you know, an ethnostate or a religious state, right? And, um, you know, Schmidt says that the sort of first draft of politics is making the friend-enemy distinction, right? This is our tribe and our state, and those people over there are not, right? And so we will do things to maintain this essential essence of a peoplehood that we think is embodied in the state and not this other thing, right? And in order to create any state, you would need to have that. And I mean, and arguably, if a lot of the Western nation states are failing or that feeling of identity is failing, it's because of the sort of inability to, to make that as a legitimate claim. Like this is, this is the state corresponding to this peoplehood and that's it. And that's a non-negotiable point. And so I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's going to be a challenge, I think, to cobble, to cobble together that sense of nationhood and identity um, while still staying within the safe purview of the left. I mean, so for example, Vitalik, in his, I mean, he says a lot in his very long post, but one of the things that struck me, he's like, 
He's also grappling with like, well, what is the unifying principle behind the state? Vitalik self-identifies as someone who's more on the left. And so he identifies effectively a series of economic arrangements. I think he gets into like Georgism or the property tax regime or something, right? Which is how, which is how one, I mean, that's the, the sort of Overton window of politics on the left is a set of economic relationships within some like universal human rights regime, right? And then he kind of mentions in passing Balaji's argument, I think Balaji is more comfortable with this, of the organizing principles on the right around ethnicity, tribalism, religion, et cetera, which Vitalik, due to his politics, just ultimately rejects, right? Um, and so I, I, I guess my point is that if you're actually gonna find some overarching identity to push this forward, you're gonna have to, in some sense, perhaps abandon the taboos of the left around topics like yeah, tribe or, or, yeah, we're, we're, or religion. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I don't know. I mean, I think like, I, I think the left sort of pretends to be universalist, but is often sort of particularist. I think like calling them out on those things sort of effectively is powerful. I mean, we, the way that we sort of conceive of our, ourselves and of this project is not sort of like a rightist project in opposition to, you know, to, to leftist projects or to leftism or anything like that. I mean, I think like part of, or I mean, like human life is characterized by strife. It's characterized by sort of like, you know, competing claims of, of loyalty and, and competing duties. And I think um, our sort of philosophical orientation is not that sort of like all the enlightenment ideas were, were wrong and that like reason and science are bad. Of course, those things have, you know, powered like tremendous human progress. Um, but that, you know, ultimately the sort of like, the sort of outcome of, of, you know, strife of, of competing, you know, competing worldviews, competing ideologies is, is often synthesis, you know, in lieu of some like total, you know, suppression of one by the other. And I think that's sort of how we see this playing out. It's like, there's sort of a synthesis of these ideas, you know, that, uh, that will be really, that will be really powerful. And so I think like, yeah, I mean, just like even in like in America, right. There's sort of like this, like, you know, pioneerism, there's, you know, my, I mean, my ancestors came here from Ireland uh, in the early 18th century. They were Protestants leaving sort of like Catholic Ireland um, to, you know, to find a new way of life. They, they were pioneers. They crossed the Atlantic. They settled, um, you know, they, they, they settled on the East Coast. And um, eventually they went to Pennsylvania and they built a fort called Fort Piper. Their descendants fought in the Revolutionary War, um, you know, participated in the, the Pennsylvania State Constitutional Convention, like sort of, you know, leaving as a tribe to, you know, go to a new place to build a new way of life is ultimately, you know, American. It's like really essentially American, this sort of pioneer instinct and, and this, you know, this sort of, you know, uh, ambition to build new ways of life. I mean, that's what powered people sort of move west across the coast, ultimately landing at the Pacific. And then the sort of question for people who landed there was, you know, what is, what is the next frontier? What's the next sort of, you know, way of life we can build? And there's some sort of stagnation because there's nowhere further to go. There's sort of frontiers of the mind, you know, that, that were uh, offered by psychedelics and there are te technological frontiers and so on and so forth. But I think ultimately, like, there's something very uh, sort of essentially uh, American about, you know, being a pioneer, about building a new sort of, you know, building a new settlement, building a new city around a way of life. And I think um, appealing to sort of like traditional American values and principles and sort of like, you know, spiritual ideals um, is something that just like, that just, it just, it just works and it's true. Um, so I think, I, I, I don't know. I think like to say that, to say that like um, the world is characterized just by, you know, sort of like leftist ideas that 
were motivated by these sort of like enlightenment ideas or something it's sort of like not the whole picture. It's like a big part of the picture, but um, I, I think you can effectively work with, uh, you know, work with the United States and with other like, you know, major countries that are sort of powered by these ideas and be sort of uh, an extension of their um, sort of spiritual goals. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't mean to come off as a, as a total skeptic of it. In fact, um, in you know, one of the things that actually makes me kind of sanguine about the whole idea, right? If, if you look at more sort of the, the biology framing of it and in this book, the network state, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of biology in there, which if I, you know, you, you probably know biology as well, if not much better than I do. Um, and so like the first half of it is like, you know, the biology worldview and he only gets into the network state concept sort of towards the end. I wish, I kind of wish he had spent more time on it, but you know, there, it is an interesting idea, right? And, and part of what makes me sanguine about it is that I already kind of live inside a network state. If you actually were to track my movements, I go from like the same three or four neighborhoods in San Francisco to the same three or four neighborhoods in New York, to like two or three neighborhoods in Miami, uh, you know, downtown Austin, and then maybe one or two other cities. And like, if there were, if there were a state called the the Federated Crypto Republic of Balajistan, right, and I was a citizen of it, and it encompassed those areas, I wouldn't even notice it, right, because I would never cross a border, <laughs> right. I would just literally go from one island of Balajistan to another one, right. And so, in some sense, I already live that way. Of course, I'm actually speaking to you from rural. Red as can be northern Nevada. So I, I do cross the border at some point, right? But I, I think I'm probably fairly unusual uh, among Balajistanis, so to speak, uh, in doing that. I think most actually don't. Um, and so, um, I mean, what do you think of, I, I know the Praxis idea is a little bit different than the network state idea, because again, the Balaji example, he's not necessarily saying start a city state, although he's not against it. It's more like, well, this set of 30,000 people in this city and 5,000 people in another city, they, for, they sort of form this kind of federated archipelago, right? And it's almost like a Hanseatic league, but with like a subset of that city. And somehow that will organize itself into a politics that he's a little bit hazy about. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess how do you, or have you tried reconciling? Or what, what do you think of that conception? Or do you think it's different than the Praxis conception or, uh, or it's not at all? Um, well, I think that, I think the earlier, like the earlier thing, the earlier questions are like, these are sort of like the most important, most like sort of fundamental questions, but they're so big and complex. And so sort of like, um, we're also, we're so like sort of pressed up against the president. We're like, so like in, in this moment that it's hard to sort of, you know, step back and have perspective. And I think a lot of, you know, the sort of the way you move through the world, um, you know, you, you sort of, you try to gain, you know, sort of theoretical insights and, uh, and sort of feel things out. But ultimately, there's a lot of intuition that has to guide, um, you know, these kinds of these kinds of projects. I mean, I think uh, in terms of like the sort of mechanics of, you know, the archipelago as opposed to having like a singular, you know, city or something like that. I mean, I think like just from an economic perspective, it's like, um, right, like if you're building a new city, you, what, there's like a bigger sort of land value arbitrage. It's like you can get like a giant piece of empty land that, you know, sort of priced as farmland, not priced into it is the expectation that you could materialize city level density there. Um, and then by doing so, you realize an enormous, uh, you know, sort of price, you know, increase in price associated with the value of the land. So it's like you can make way more money if you if you have like a raw piece of land and materialize city level density there than if you, you know, just link a bunch of people up who live in, you know, in, in, in cities. You're not creating as much sort of real estate value. Um also, like you have less leverage to negotiate for, you know, like tax or for legal and regulatory concessions. It's like if, if you are providing like, you know, tremendous value, like centralize all those people 
and you know you you offer to partner with a government that finds it super attractive to have you know that sort of you know cultural bent and you know the economic value associated with those people moving into their country like sort of like you you can you can do a bigger deal with you know with with the host country that you know is more meaningful for them and so it could be more meaningful for you so i think like just from like a sort of economics perspective there's an appeal to doing a city as opposed to like this sort of network archipelago thing um also like i think it's just like you want to design things from scratch you want to think about these things from first principles you don't want to go to some shitty like you know I, I don't know. It's like, it's like, I think part of the reason people move around so much is not so much because, um, you know, people are newly mobile and they want to be nomadic and so on and so forth. It's like nowhere is good. Like there's no like good city to go to. There's no like authentically 21st century city. I think sort of like setting aside the sort of, you know, political and philosophical stuff is like, a, you know, an architectural and sort of urban planning project. This new, like the sort of like the, the underlying dynamics of the network state unlock the possibility to underwrite you know, a giant city uh, that you can design, you know, from a blank sheet of paper, which is super exciting sort of in its own right. So I think there are a bunch of, there are like economic reasons, there's sort of like, you know, uh, uh, sort of like technological and artistic reasons why it's compelling to build a new city. Um, and then I think beyond that, it's just like getting, getting a lot of people in one place is just like how you make magic happen. It's how you make like a scene, like, you know, really, really powerful. Like just the more people you have, the more sort of like all encompassing, this notion of like a shared way of life can be if you're still sort of like in another city, but you're like sort of Chinatown in New York or something. I'm not really sure how, how compelling that might be as compared to like, you know, a Renaissance Florence or something that's its own thing. I think having multiple cities would be sweet. I would love to have multiple cities. Interesting. I mean, Dryden, I think you need to start a cult around this. Like why, you know, why religion could be the organizing principle. I mean, it's, it's funny that everyone who's trying to do this is so humble. I mean, typically in the past, a lot of these, I'm obviously half joking, but you know, a lot of this has been, well, either by fiat, right? St. Petersburg was like a city created from nothing due to the fiat of, of, <laughs> of an autocrat. Um, but you're imagining something else and, um, yeah, huh. Again, it's good. Yeah. And then you've got the bootstrap problem. I don't know. It's, it's such an unprecedented problem. So few cities have been created from nothing. And again, there are examples, but um, usually there was so much cultural packaging around it. Um, I remember seeing photos of Tel Aviv in the 40s, which it was an invented city. There was no Tel Aviv. There was just Yafo, which was a town next to it. Um, man, you've, you've really set yourself a, a difficult challenge. <laughs> well, we're dropping, uh, we're dropping the manifesto soon, man. So, you know. Oh, really? Oh. Keep an eye out. Yeah, okay. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, like, like, look, like, I think, like, um, you know, sort of like, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't claim to have like, you know, a, spe- a sort of like special connection to, um, you know, to to God that allows me to create a sort of like axiomatic, like sort of theological, um, you know, like the Ten Commandments or something like that. I think um, a lot of these things are are sort of like self-evident and intuitive. I mean, I think like, you know, these sort of like foundational sort of highest value, like just for us, like vitality, you know, vitality is our highest value. Um, and, you know, we can talk about that, but, you know, I, I think like sort of like, you know, you don't, you don't want to be sort of like mind control cult leader. It's sort of like, you don't want to be like, you know, manipulating people. You don't want to, um, you know, be, I, I, I don't know, L. Ron Hubbard or something like that. It's like, I think there are a lot of, you know, truths that um, are unspoken, but that are, you know, pretty plain to see. And I think, you know, communicating those things in the context of a, 
you know, a sort of like visionary, you know, grand project makes them a lot more, you know, salient and, and obvious. I mean, in the United States, we have a 50% obesity rate. Um, you know, there's sort of, you know, there, there's sort of like cultural, economic, technological stagnation. Um, you know, we need, we need a sort of vital frontier mentality. We need places where builders can build. Um, we need, uh, you know, a celebration of expansion, um, of, you know, growth, of, you know, development, um, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think those things are just like intuitive and people sort of feel them in their, in their bones to the extent that they do. And, uh, and, and those are sort of the spiritual concepts that are, you know, the foundation for us. I mean, there is, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think like, I don't know, I, I believe in God. Um, but you know, this isn't, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll, I'll, th- I'll have to think more about how I, how I want to talk about that, but that, that's pretty much that's yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, interesting. Um, what the, the whole God thing, it it just, it, you made me lose my train of thought, Dryden. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, so you're dropping a manifesto. Well, that's good. That's good. It's good because you obviously need people to be motivated and to to actually move there. I mean, I, you know, I kind of snark tweeted about some of these projects saying a lot of them sound like Zionism, but without the Judaism. Right. So, um, and, and, and it's funny, you, you see it in a lot of things. I, I went to, you probably know Anna Gutt from Twitter. She runs this. Yeah. Inter, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. she runs this, um, inter intellect thing, which is really quite interesting that organizes kind of dinners and events around interesting speakers. And I went, she very kindly invited me to a dinner recently. Well, a few weeks ago at the house of one of her members in San Francisco and, you know, very pleasant, but again, it also, it's like, wow, this is like, this is like being part of a synagogue, but without, without the Judaism, right? Because in a synagogue, for those who aren't familiar, it's, it's less like a Sunday church thing, although, of course, there are services. It's more like a social community or club that you join. The, the membership fees are actually kind of high, and you kind of shop around and find one that you like. And, you know, there's a big social family you know, element to it above and beyond, you know, going there from Yom Kippur or whatever. Um, and so it seems a lot of people are kind of grappling with this and trying to recreate some of the social institutions that created meaning in people's lives. So it's interesting that, so when does the, when does the manifesto drop? Um, in August. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like, right. Like this sort of, I, I, I saw that tweet. I thought that was totally right. I mean, we've been working on this for, you know, roughly two years and the whole premise, like from the beginning was, uh, you know, to build, to build an, an axiomatic moral framework that we think is, you know, just sort of self-evident and like, right. Um, and to, you know, create and illustrate a way of life for people that they find, you know, just more compelling and more meaningful um, and, and to build a city on that basis. I mean, like, it's, it's always been uh, a sort of moral thing for us. It's, you know, it's in all of our stuff. This is sort of isn't a, isn't, isn't a new thing if you go back and read the things we've written over the last couple of years. And I think, like, releasing a really substantive, um, uh, you know, sort of document of that nature is you know, something that takes a, a long time and a lot of contemplation, you know, and, and sort of doing that can be, uh, it, it can be, it can be challenging when you're running, you know, uh, when you're, when you're building a sort of, uh, like a, a movement and institution and so on, you're talking to people, you're hiring people, you're, you know, raising money and doing all these things. So it's, it's been a long time coming, but we're excited to release it soon. I mean, I think like, yeah, I mean, one critique that we have of like, you know, I mean, this isn't like our critique of modernity, but it's like, you know, um, if, if sort of like, you know, you're, you're if sort of like the highest value of society is that people should be able to indulge their sort of idiosyncratic moment to moment desires, 
um, but just not, you know, to the extent that they prevent another person from doing the same. Like that's a very shallow um, sort of like moral vision for what life can be and offering people something that's, you know, that, that's deeper and more meaningful than that is, is super important. And I think like building a, building a sort of like a, a moral framework that is on the face, you know, compelling to the right people um, is, is like, it's just essential for the whole thing. So like, I think like, I think doing like, I mean, sort of like Judaism, like sort of Israel worked. Um, I think, uh, I think, you know, if, if one was like sort of like cynical or something and they wanted to like, you know, adopt some, you know, religion and try to build something around it, it'd probably come off as like sort of, you know, hollow and inauthentic and sort of wouldn't work. But, you know, if it did, there's just sort of this question of, you know, sort of like, what are the most talented people in the world, you know, believe about the world and what is true that, you know, that they don't understand about the world and, you know, can those truths help them live, you know, live better lives and, you know, see, you know, sort of cause more human flourishing to occur. So, I mean, yeah, the moral stuff is the moral stuff is totally foundational, man. It's like you can't just build these like economic charter cities where you have like some there's some like tax benefit or you know regulatory arbitrage that like you know coalesces you know some demand for demand or supply of labor. It's like those things just don't work. They take a long time. They end up taking the form of like mining towns or ports. You know those kinds of formulations are never going to be the fount of human ingenuity or, you know, at least they're not going to be for hundreds of years. It's not something that we'd see in our lifetime if, if that's sort of the conception. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope you pick, definitely pick a good, a good date in August because that's going to become like national constitution day or, or whatever in, in the future society. It's, that's, if this really is the manifesto, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're pondering it. There, there are some like practical uh, considerations too, but, but totally. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was just recently in Philadelphia where some of my kids live and I haven't really spent much time in Philadelphia and it's so kind of soaked with um, sort of nostalgia porn, basically, for the early days of the Republic and the Constitution and Constitution Hall and the whole thing. And it's fascinating how they've managed, you know, are trying to revive or make it be a, a center of the civic religion that I think used to be probably a bigger part of American life than it is today. Um, but still, you know, they talk about the founders in this quasi-prophetic way, the scriptural nature of the Constitution, uh, you know, it, it, all the early events. This, it's funny, just <laughs> I was in the uh, the Museum of the American Revolution uh, and whose like centerpieces, I kid you not, I had no idea. Maybe you, this is like a well-known thing and somehow I just missed that day in civics class. But the centerpiece of their collection, they have a bunch of stuff, it's very interesting, is actually George Washington's campaign tent from the Revolutionary War, like the original fabric they've maintained for two centuries, basically. And they have like a theater, you go in and you get sort of this, you know, show about it. And at the end, they actually light up and show you um, the actual tent itself. <laughs> and it was, it was almost like, it reminded me of the original biblical Israelites didn't have a temple, it was actually inside a tent. The ark would be carried on in the tent. And it was almost that same level of reverence of like, here, here is Moses' tent from back in the day. We, we actually kept it for 3,000 years. And here you are looking at it. Um, and so, again, I, it just seems like you, any state needs, an invented state at least, that isn't based on ethnos and nothing else, needs those kind of trappings to, to make it work. I think a lot of those things happen after the fact. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think like, I don't actually know. I have no, I have no clue if this is true or not. I, I sort of doubt that George Washington was thinking about the. I, I think like, like a, a sort of a lot of the, like the mythological stuff. I think like those things happen sort of afterwards if you're successful, like particularly if you're successful. I think for us, it's just like, it, it's like there are a lot of, there are a lot of like hard things that have to happen for us to, you know, build 
build a city and, you know, sort of build a movement around what we believe about, you know, the world and how we believe the future can be. And we're just like, sort of like super focused on, on those things. I think a lot of the other things like the sort of, you know, the, the mythology and so on, I think those things just like, they just happen if you're successful. Um, and yeah, I, 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 that stuff's super interesting. I do think about like this for psychological mechanics there and stuff. It's, it's interesting, but I think like dwell, like sort of like, meditating on that stuff is like for for us is almost like putting the car before the horse and like presumptuous or something it's like there's a lot of like like real stuff that we have to do to get the thing done and then like that stuff sort of happens after and like like sort of like 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 locks in the story and like makes it all work you know for like future generations but that only seems that almost seems like that's like the work of like my you know successor uh you know once we're successful or some something like that yeah, I mean, certainly if you read, you know, the primary materials, the founders thinking at the time, on the one hand, yeah, there wasn't this sort of epic monumentality around what they were doing, right? I mean, July 4th, you know, isn't even the right date when it comes to the, <laughs> when the Declaration of Independence was actually signed. It was, it's debatable, but it's arguably July 2nd. But, but, but they, you know, but if you read the letters at the time, they, they, they did understand that they were creating uh, you know, a nation built on, as an exper- almost a philosophical experiment, right? So they, they did understand the sort of generative nature of they were creating. They just didn't approach it with a level of reverence that I think we approach it today. And again, if you look at the early founders of the state of Israel, it's the same thing, right? It was very much, uh, yes, this is, this is the epic culmination of 2,000 years of Jewish exile. And by the way, here's this like, you know, completely forgotten logistical happenstance issue that we had to deal with, which is how something ended up the way it did, right? And, and there was no higher level planning to it whatsoever. Um, and so I, I guess at the end of the day, that's how history is, is actually written. A, a mix of kind of, you know, vision and then just sheer historical happenstance. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think, I think most people who've, who've done things of this, like nature and scale have contemplated the historical, uh, like, magnitude of of you know what they're doing if successful i think like yeah i mean it's 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 impossible not to but i mean but i think like there's like sort of like i don't know maybe it's like a it you have to sort of like do the thing with a sense of like like focus on like the object level and like a sense of like sort of humility around it and sort of like it's just sort of like it seems like sort of like not like virtuous or something. It seems like 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 vain or something like that to like sort of like publicly contemplate like that stuff or something. Like it's like like it's sort of like you could say that thing. Like I I probably shouldn't talk about like that stuff because that's not really like the re- that's not like my motivation for doing it. I guess like I I think that we can just build a better a better future. Um and and that's that's like the stuff that I think is like good to good for me to talk about at least if that makes sense. Hmm. Okay. Well, so we're coming down to the last few minutes. I'm wondering, sometimes we do a Q&A with listeners. Um, how do you feel about questions, Dryden? Yeah, man, I'm totally down. Okay. Um, so listeners, um, if anyone wants to um, ask a question, feel free to. I'm sure um, Dryden would, would be happy to answer uh, any question you might have. Oh, oh, Pedro. Pedro, who actually is, is also involved with Colin. Uh, go ahead, Pedro. What's up, guys? Can you hear me? Yes. Um, uh, what happens if pirates show up and are willing to use force? Um, put thought into defense? Yeah. I mean, it's a sort of threefold answer. Like, one, we have private security. Um, we'll have private security in the city. Two, um, <clears throat> the host country that we're partnering with has, you know, a, a military. And then beyond that, 
um, you know, having a strong relationship with with the U.S. government uh, as a sort of backstop, like a security backstop is also important. I mean, I think like if it, if it were literally pirates, I think our security people could handle that pretty easily. But, um, you know, if, if there was some like broader geopolitical thing and like the country that we were, you know, we were in got into a war and I, you know, then, then that's like a much like sort of bigger question. But but ultimately, it's like, you know, we're building a, a city within a country that has you know, a military, and then that country will have a relationship with the U.S. government that would, uh, you know, cause the U.S. government to, to you know, want to not let that to happen. But Dryden, why not have mass conscription and mass armament like Israel and Singapore have? Um, because, because we want to uh, make it extremely clear to our host country that um, we have no oh, interest in, in, you know, in, in being like oppositional to them, like at any point in any way. And I think like, um, maybe there'd be a way to do that, like in partnership with the host government and like, you know, who knows how these things like evolve over time. Like, you know, perhaps, you know, there's some sort of, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's like a program that like sort of like folds into, you know, the host country or something like that. But if we were just like, Hey guys, like, you know, we're, <laughs> we, w- we want to move to your country. And also we're, we're bringing an army. They, they would not be, uh, they would not be stoked. Um, that would not, that would not work. Oh, man, here I was looking forward to joining the Praxis Militia. Okay. Dude, I, I wish we could have you, bro. <laughs> that would be sick. Well, I, I would maybe actually, yeah, I would maybe have people with actual military training join first, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a thought. We can, we can discuss right <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Pedro. Um, let's see. I don't see thanks. anybody thanks, else. Thanks, guys. This is very interesting to listen to. Appreciate it. Let's see. Any other question? No, sometimes it's odd. Sometimes we get so many callers we can't deal with them all. Sometimes we don't get that many. Um, well, thank you, Dryden, for coming on. Um, if people wanted to actually find out more, um, would they go to the website? What, where would they go? What would they do? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we keep it pretty mysterious at this point. We haven't put out a lot of content. There's some stuff on the website. Uh, we have a Twitter account that we update fairly regularly. Um, I think the, the, the best thing to do is to seek out, uh, you know, me or, or Eric Wahlberg on our team, um, and to, you know, come to an event and talk to us and so on. So, you know, we're on Twitter. You can, uh, you can ping us there and, you know, we'd love to meet you. Cool. Great. Um, and you also do in real life events, I think as well, Dryden. Is that, is that right? For, yeah, for yeah, 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 exactly. We, yeah. We have events in, in New York and SF and LA and Austin and, and, and all over the place. Some of those are recruiting events, like, you know, where we meet, uh, new people. We also have like member events for people who, um, are members of the community. And, um, yeah, we, we do, a, we do a lot of events. Right. So, right. Cause at the end of the day, this is like an in real life thing. It's not just some virtual community, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, we, we have some, we have some online stuff too. If you're in like, you know, like a remote part of Italy or something like that, like we have like people from all over the world that, that zoom into stuff, but, um, the, the majority of our people and in London too, actually, we, we have event, we have a lot of events in like London, New York, uh, SF, you know, LA, Austin. Cool. Great. Um, well, thank you, Dryden. Um, as always, I'll edit this piece and it'll go out um, and available wherever you normally download your podcasts. Um, as a small plug, I think we have Jesse Singal uh, scheduled tomorrow as well. He, um, well, he's written for a lot of places and done a lot of things. Uh, he currently hosts a, um, a podcast with Katie. I think everyone here probably knows who he is. He's kind of a, a Twitter celebrity. And uh, we'll, talk, we'll be talking tomorrow. 
And uh, like I said, if, if you want to hear more about the network state thing, go to practice. Um, also listen to the Balaji interview two weeks ago and check out his book. It's also very interesting. I think I'm actually going to write more about this network state thing. I think it's, um, you know, one of the more interesting concepts that's kind of come along. And um, I have to say there hasn't been a lot of novel political thinking in the West in like the past 20 or 30 years, Dryden. So the fact that someone is trying to, you know, generally create something new, I think is, is a good thing by and large. There's certainly a dearth of it in our, in our current life. Well, thanks for having me, man. This is fun. Okay. See you, Dryden. See, see you. everyone. Bye.